David is uh, finishing up our hashtag life goals series this morning uh, with, let's see, from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you. Uh, some exciting news that we found out uh, very early this morning. Our worship director, Chris, and Grace, well, I guess just Grace, is in labor. Um, so we're really excited for them. Uh, let's be praying for them. Didn't the band do a great job? None of them knew they were playing today. No, I'm just joking. No, they were, they were all ready for that. But yeah, let's give them a hand. Can we thank them? They did a great job. Um, let's, let's please be praying for them. Uh, baby number two is on the way. Um, we don't know where they're at on that, in that uh, process. So if you find out, let us know. Uh, we'd love to be um, keeping them in prayers, thinking about them. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Current. Yes, today we're going to finish our, our hashtag Life Goals series, but again, let's pray and then, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we, we want to first of all pray for grace, uh, not the person, grace, uh, that you would be with her. <laughs> would you give grace your grace? Um, uh, Lord, would you be with her? Would you be with baby? Protect her, protect him, the little one. Uh, keep them safe all the way through delivery. Let there be no complications, please, Father. Uh, no, no problems or anything like that. And we also pray for, for Chris. Uh, be with him. Uh, watch over him and just uh, let this, uh, these precious, uh, important hours right now uh, pass by under your care. And uh, Lord, just bless them as they, uh, God willing, soon begin a, a life of a family as four. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time that we have together as we, as we seek to uh, understand more of who you are and what you have for us. Uh, Lord, we ask for your spirit as we... Uh, uh, let what your words uh, have for us here sit upon our hearts. Lord, I ask for your spirit that it wouldn't be mine, but, but yours. Um, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had a little fun by sharing some little ones, hashtag life goals, talking uh, kindergartners uh, and, 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 bef and before. I thought I'd share a couple more just because it's so fun. It's so cute. Uh, this, this, this first one, little Jessica, is, is especially cute because we're talking a three-year-old, so about this high, okay? Uh, the prompt, actually the prompt for each of these guys is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Little Jessica, little three-year-old said, when I grow up, I want to be a fire hydrant. <laughs> Little Lucas said, when I grow up, I'm going to work with rocks. For example, I'm going to throw them in the water so it creates a massive splash. <laughs> Future scientist there. Uh, and this last one is actually from my own real you know, life. My, actual, my life, um, uh, our, our little niece, uh, Catherine, when she was about four years old, we asked her what she wants to be when she grew up. And I'm not making this up. She said, um, I want to be a princess or a bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> She said that. I was like, I'm never going to forget that. And I, I asked my, my, my sister, her mom, and she's like, she really wants to be a bus driver. She thinks it's the coolest thing. I think, I think that is the coolest thing. Uh, life goals. Okay, that's been our series. We're concluding it today. What are some of the exciting and freeing goals that God might invite us into? 
uh, goals greater than we could hope for or plan for on our own. You know, today I thought, with this being our last uh, message of the series, I'd flip the script a little bit, because I think it's easy for us when we think about life goals to think about it almost purely from the perspective of what's ahead of us. Okay, these are the goals I want to have, I'm shooting for. If I could just do this in the future, that would be great. But the fact of the matter is we also have life goals that we will have either wished we had or will have been grateful that we had had in the future. Uh, they've, done, they've done a number of studies and compilation of, of surveys uh, taking in people's regrets that people will have towards the end of their life, just kind of just doing survey after survey of understanding what people wish they had done, like sort of regrets. And I imagine, you know, if you were to Google this later, you'd, you'd find all of this. There's a number of things that, that people will regret, but one of life's biggest regrets, and you see this across the board in terms of a lot of people's lists, really comes down to one thing, and that is relationships, uh, people. Uh, one list, uh, of one compilation list alone had these regrets that I was kind of reporting. I wish I had spent more time with the people I love. I wish I had learned to express my feelings more. I wish I had loved more. I wish I had been a better spouse. And then listen to this one. I wish I had touched more lives. Uh, you know, today I want to look at a life goal with you that I think we could very easily not articulate going forward. As in, this is a goal I want to shoot for. This is a life goal I want to Instagram about. But it's going to be a life goal probably for each and every one of us, whether we wish we had done it or that we're grateful we had done it, uh, looking back. And that is the life goal of investing in others. Today, I want to consider what it means and what it could look like to invest in others. And to say that the Bible cares about this would be a little bit of an understatement. The Bible cares very much that we would invest in others. In fact, the very last words of Jesus before he went into heaven was to go and make disciples, is how the Bible will often put this. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. Go and disciple. Actually, the Greek word there is go discipling. It's a verb. And we're, so what we're talking about, when we talk about discipleship, really, at the end of the day, is talking about investing in others, specifically when it comes to helping people become more like Jesus. We need to help people become more like Jesus, even as we ourselves need to become more like Jesus, the kind, selfless, caring, unconditional love type person that Jesus is. We need to invest in others towards this end and have others investing in us towards that end. And if you want to talk about having a big life goal, there it is. But the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? If, if that's really something we should shoot for, especially Christ followers, what does it look like to invest in others in this way? And what's interesting is if you, if you, you know, go out there into the Christian books. Uh, store. I was going to say Barnes and Nobles, but I think those are vastly <laughs> there's a going away. If you go on Amazon in the Christian books section, you'll see a lot of books on discipling and how you can invest in others. And the interesting thing is, you'll find as many methods for investing in others in this way as you look for in a book or in for an answer. There are so many different ways out there, and part of the reason for that is there's nowhere in the Bible there's like this 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 list of play by play. Here's how you invest in others. Here's the ingredients. You go out and you do this, this number of times, this is how you do it. And as much as our 21st century minds would love, hey, just give me the playbook and I'll go do that, it's not there in the Bible. So how do we do it? Well, what we have are principles. And 
the text that was just read, I believe, humbly, is actually the premier text in terms of how we can disciple, or to use the language of our series, how we can invest in others to make a meaningful, impactful uh, 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 difference in the lives of others and see it in, in our own selves as we seek to have these life goals. Uh, Mark 3 gives us uh, two principles that we're going to be looking at in terms of how we can invest in others in a profoundly meaningful and fruitful way. Um, but first, as we, as we get to these, let's look at the context, okay? So verse 13 starts with Jesus going up on a mountainside and calling to him those he wanted, and they came to him. This text, that verse, is really a, a pivotal moment in the history of mankind. You know, in, in terms of human history, this is a monumental shift. What do you mean by that, David? Well, I think we can all agree that Jesus was kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal to this day. Well, it's in this moment that he identifies and he starts to release his ministry into the, the hands of some other people, specifically these 12 people. And the language really reflects this momentous occasion. So it says he goes up, he went up on a mountainside. You know, in my personal study, as I was preparing for today, I was like, what's the deal with the mountain? Is that like a holy mountain? Is that symbolical of, of, some, of some sort? And I was uh, grateful when I read the commentaries just to try to understand uh, something that I didn't uh, quite know myself, that they said, we don't know what's special about the mountainside. We don't know if it's a holy mountain. We don't know if it's symbolic. But we do know it is, it is, it is Mark, the gospel writer's way of saying, this is a big moment. It's very significant. In Luke's account, it says that Jesus spent the whole night leading up to this day in prayer up on the mountainside. In other words, this is an occasion where Jesus is thinking a lot about, caring deeply for, and here he comes, verse 14, to do what he has, is set out to do. He appointed 12, number one, that they might be with him. The first principle of investing in others is being with. Uh, we need to be with people. Uh, what's the curriculum that Jesus set out for? To be with these guys. I think this is something we need to let kind of sink down a little bit, uh, because I think in our culture, if we were to ask the question, how do people grow? How do people develop? I think more times than not, we'll probably think, oh, we need to sit people down in a classroom and just start lecturing them. Take notes, and you know that's how people grow. That's how people develop. That's how people are, are, are built up. Hey, that's all good, and Jesus preached, and he taught, and he did all those sorts of things, but first and foremost, he was just with these guys. Uh, he was just spending time with them. Have you guys seen those master classes on, online? Uh, there's these awesome little like uh, training uh, modules uh, taught by the cream of the cream experts. Like if you want to learn music, Timbaland teaches like beat making and, and, and producing. If you want to learn, you know, uh, literature, Malcolm Gladwell teaches writing. You want to up your basketball game? Steph Curry teaches shooting. You know, uh, if you want to learn how to make an omelet, you know, Gordon Ramsay teaches how to cook. Uh, that's the one I got into. I didn't sign up for it because they're a little, little out of my price range, but I did find a little, like, hack where I could see some of, like, what, what he does. It's a really cool thing. You get to sit in and hear from these experts teach you about their expertise. And, you know, the, they'll sit down and they'll kind of, you know, do a little session of this is what we're getting ready to do, and then you'll follow them into their, you know, place of, of operation. So, for instance, with Gordon Ramsay, you go into the kitchen with him, and the camera's over his shoulder, and you're seeing how he's cooking. 
And he's saying things like, nobody will ever teach you this. Nobody will ever teach you this. But don't season the omelet right after you break the eggs. That breaks the eggs down, and it makes it not taste as good. I was like, whoa, I tried that, and my omelets are never, never going to be the same. It's like, they're amazing. I'm like, he's like, you got to do it at the end. Do season them at the end. And just, you, you just get this intimate session with this expert in a way it's like, whoa, like life-changing. My omelets will never, you know. We all know it would be all that much cooler if we got to sit in that actual kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. As cool as that is, and that's really, really cool, imagine sitting in that kitchen with Gordon Ramsay as he was doing his thing. Instead of teaching to the camera, he's looking at your eyes as he's teaching these things, as he's saying the words, and he's intuiting what you're grasping and not grasping. And then you're there with your questions based on your experience, and you're saying, well, why are you doing it that way? And so he's emphasizing certain things and not having to emphasize other things. It's just a, such an intimate way of learning and growing from uh, whoever it might be. Jesus spent time with these disciples. I, I, you, you can't overemphasize how important and yet so easy it is to miss how important that is. I, I like to think of it as learning by osmosis. Um, just letting Jesus, these guys had Jesus rubbing off on them. I mean, the tangible lessons, yes, but also the intangibles. They were all just getting to know, uh, getting to know him, learn from him just by being around him. You know, as we think about investing in others and what this can look like, really this, this plays across all sorts of rela- relationships, right? But let's think about, okay, for, for a relationship that, that absolutely is under this umbrella topic, you got to think about parent and child, right? Uh, and so for, for you parents now and for you future parents, there's a lot of opportunity to be with, wouldn't you say? Uh, one of the things I'm so grateful for with my parents is how much they utilized the around-the-table dinner times. Uh, first of all, they always had us home eating on time, which I'm one of six kids. That's a feat to get six kids there all eating at the same time. Uh, I was always sitting next. I, had, I was one of the younger ones, so I had the, like, leg part. So I'm like, oh, this is my spot. I get the leg. And anyways, we'd go around, and my dad or mom would ask how our days were going. We'd talk about it. But you know what had a big impact on my life? And I didn't even realize it, of course, at the time, was that my parents would also talk about their days and what was on their minds and what was on their hearts. And I got to hear how they processed things, how they thought about things, how they cared for others, how they went for caring for others. And all of that had to rub off. I mean, I think of my mom, for instance. She's got to be the most selfless person on this planet. I'm looking around. She's not here today, so I can say this a little bit more freely. She's the most selfless person on this planet. How can that not rub off on you when you're spending that much time I should have spent more time with her, by the way. I'm not as selfless as anywhere near as her, but how can that sort of thing not have an impact on others? And okay, so that's parent-child, but we're all eating meals with people. You know, there's so much opportunity to be with people, to, to think about what uh, impact this can have in our lives and the lives of those, of, of, of those uh, uh, around us. Think about some of the people who have had the greatest impact in your life who invested in you. Uh, How did they do so? Was it all just like a formal lesson? Uh, I would venture to guess that just about for everybody, it was these informal just being with that that paid the most dividends. So do you want to invest in people? Do you want to touch lives in a profoundly meaningful and fruitful way? Start here by being with others to learn from and to help, help them learn. Okay, what does this look like practically, okay, as we just kind of try to understand uh, what this can look like in our lives? Again, remember, I want to stay in the principle 
level. This is no, there's no, you know, uh, how-to list of, you know, um, one, two, three instructions here. Um, still, I think we can infer some things. So being with has to mean being intentional, okay? We see that here in this text. It's that Jesus went up on the mountainside. He had prayed. He called them. So he's, he's very deliberately, very intentionally going about uh, doing this. But then as you follow his life from this point forward, you also find that he was very deliberate, very intentional with the time he actually had with them. He was making the most of it. He was, he was utilizing the time in order to make it profitable. Uh, again, I think the example I just used about the, the dinner table or, or, or the lunch table or around coffee is a great example because you, you're already eating. Everybody has to eat anyways, and if someone else is there, there's an opportunity just to be intentional about it. But the point is here, these sorts of investments won't just happen on their own. Uh, We've got to be thinking about it. Uh, We've got to do our best to try to spark ways to create moments like these. Uh, number two, being with, has to mean asking good questions. Again, we don't see Jesus here in this text asking them questions, but from this point forward, we see Jesus asking the disciples questions all the time. So, for instance, in a few chapters from this place in Mark, Jesus asks the disciples, he says, who do the people say I am? And they're like, well, some say you're the prophets of old, Elijah. You know, some people are saying, what about you, Jesus asked them. Who do you say I am? And he really zeroes in on something that he really longs to, to wrestle through with them, think through with them. Or how about the times when they're facing crisis and Jesus asks the question, oh, ye of little faith, where's your faith? Why aren't you having faith? He's asking them this question, by the way, after he's just been teaching them about faith. And now they're in a moment of crisis in their faith, and he's, he's saying, why aren't you having faith? And then you look back on the text, you're like, whoa, he's been leading them to this point. He's teaching them. He's bringing them along. Or any number, or the, any number of times where he's working in someone's life, and they don't quite understand how it works, he'll ask the question, do you still not see or understand? He was constantly asking questions. Any number of questions we can go on and, and, and list off here. But it wasn't just Jesus asking the disciples questions. It was the disciples also asking him their questions. You know what probably is the number one question, the most frequently asked question of Jesus by his disciples? Okay, this is the New David translation. The question of, huh? <laughs> like, what? what? What just, what? Jesus, huh? Uh, is this said different ways, but it's mainly, wait, help us understand that. Like, what did you just say? Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Mark uh, 4, verses 33 and 34. Check this out in light of what we're talking about. This is one chapter later. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, that is the crowds, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Uh, they were asking their questions. What did you mean when you talked about the, you know, the sower who went out and cast their seed? Like, what does that mean? And he'd explain it to them. Um, or when they were out trying to do different things that he, they felt he wanted them to do, he'd say, why, why couldn't we heal that man like you did? Or they had their doctrinal questions that they'd ask. Master, who sinned that this man was born blind, he or his parents? And Jesus would explain, no, 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 that's a misconception. Just because people are blind, that culture thought, they, they thought that you were cursed by God. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not why this guy was blind. It's not because someone is at fault for sinning. And he'd explain to them. We, being with has to mean asking good questions. I've had a friend since college 
uh, who's, who's been in my life that we, we'll meet together from time to time. He's in the East Bay, so it's a little bit harder now. Um, but we'll, we'll talk on the phone from time to time. And he is so good at asking good questions. I am so thankful for my buddy Steve. He's always asking good questions. So, so whenever I'm going through something really hard, he'll just ask questions just to help me process. And there's times where I, I actually get a little frustrated with it. I'm like, Steve, man, I, I know I'm just messing up here. I know I'm screwing up. Can you just tell me that I'm messing up and how I'm messing up? And he'll just laugh and be like, oh, but how do you think you're messing up? I was like, oh, no, just tell me. And I'm like, oh, self-discovery, you know. Um, but, you know, as, as, as interesting and frustrating as that can be in the moment, it's so helpful. Because he's just trying to elicit things that I can work through, even as he's working through things himself. Um, what questions can we ask one another? What questions could you ask in a way like this? Maybe you're saying, Dave, I have no idea what I ask. Um, again, there's no playbook. The Bible doesn't say ask these questions. Um, but questions we can ask, just for starters, how are your relationships? You know, how are they going at work? How's your relationship with your spouse if, if the person's married with the kids? Uh, if they're a Christ follower, what, what, uh, what has God been teaching you lately? I mean, there's any number of questions that we can get into and, 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 and start to um, invest in each other that way with meaningful impact. Uh, number three, being with is not a top-down approach. Um, I love this. I love this. There's something so profound going on in these verses here. Uh, Jesus is the living, breathing Son of God. He's God himself in the flesh, and when he calls them that they might be with him, that is so crazy to me. He didn't say, come to me so that I can lay it down and lay it thick on you, so that I can just tell you how it is, but the Son of God is saying, you know what, come and be with me, walk alongside. Um, my oldest sister, when she was, at, uh, when she was doing her undergrad at, at Cal, she's 10 years older than I am, uh, I remember her sharing that she was going to church and that she attended a, a college Christian fellowship. And at that fellowship, uh, a gal who was like a senior, she was a freshman at the time, a gal who was a senior came to her and said, I'd like to disciple you. And my sister was like, oh, oh, okay, all right, that sounds good. Um, already I'm just kind of sounding like a top-down approach, like I'm going to disciple you. And so they got together and, uh, you know, they had coffee. And this gal, you know, was, you know, my sister said it was really helpful, was saying, you know, Asking my sister Karen, hey, how's your, how, how are your studies going? How are things going in your life? How's your walk with, with, with Jesus? How, you know, just getting into all those sorts of things. And about 30 minutes into the conversation, uh, Karen, for her end, says, hey, you know, like, how are you doing? How's your, how's your life? And this gal responded, oh, no, this is not about me here. This is about you. And Karen's like, whoa, oh, I didn't. Isn't it profoundly amazing that Jesus came and he didn't set up a way of investing in people that's hierarchical. He invited people just to be in his life. Now, was Jesus their Lord and Savior, their master, their teacher? Yes, with an exclamation point behind it. And yet, he was just inviting people into their life. You know what? Here's the really straightforward uh, insight that we can kind of draw. And none of us are Jesus. None of us are Jesus. It seems to me, therefore, that our posture, if we're someone investing in someone else's life, has to be one that of a fellow struggler. Because we're not Jesus. In fact, I would go so far to say is, this is the secret sauce. If you want to have a profoundly impactful, you know, uh, uh, 
relationship with somebody, investing in somebody, you let them into your life in a way that shows that you don't have it all together yourself, that you don't have it all figured out. You know, uh, Cindy reminded us last week that the gospel is not something we ever graduate from, but we all deeply need Jesus. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We are all desperately sinful, and yet he died for us that we might have life in him, that we can all receive that. And so to me, it has to mean what Jesus is showing us here when he's calling them to be alongside him is that we need to embrace that we aren't Jesus and help others uh, come to know him, even in, maybe even, actually probably even, especially in our weakness. Um, How could this play out practically? Let's say someone's coming to you and just working out, you know, just in the midst of life relationship that you have with them. You know, they're, I don't know, being resentful at work. Let's say relationships just have them really angry, really resentful, and they say that to you. They open up and say, hey, I'm just really resentful at work. You know, a top-down approach would probably be like, you stupid for being resentful. Like, you should not be resentful. How, why are you being angry? Which, I know, I should, I, yeah. not that you would ever do that, but we can't say, why would you be resentful? You know, you, another approach might be, a come-alongside approach might be, you know what, man, I can see how you're resentful because I can find myself resentful too. And when I find myself resentful, here's how I've processed that. Do, do you see the difference of posture in terms of, of how we can approach this, not approach this? I think Jesus is modeling for us. Here are the principles. It starts with being with, um, being intentional about that, asking good questions, and not this top-down approach, but a come-alongside approach. Uh, There's more we could say on that, but to press forward, uh, number two, the principle we see here is investing in others has to mean uh, sending out, okay? So it says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, now, real quickly, that whole thing about the authority to drive out demons, uh, we might not see the demonic in the world today that they saw then, at least in our part of the world that we live in today. That's a whole other deal. But the Bible holistically ascribes much of the evil in the world to it. And if we want to just kind of low-hanging fruit, think about this. Christ followers are called to fight evil in the world, to fight injustices uh, wherever uh, it might manifest. But higher level, what I want us to consider here is investing in others has to mean sending out. It is not just a being with thing. It is also a sending out. Uh, We need to increasingly move and help others move from being consumers to contributors. We need to increasingly move from being all about input to being about output. Or to use language uh, of our values here at Current. We need to increasingly become outward in focus. He didn't just call them to be with him. He called them to be with him that he might also send them out. I've had somebody, nobody here uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the past, ask me to kind of invest in them in, in this sort of way. Um, and I was, I was really humbled that they would ask. And I asked some questions to kind of understand what they were, what they were getting at. And I said, okay, I worked, worked all that out. I said, hey, could I just ask that if, if, we, if we commit to this, that we commit together, you commit and I commit together to... Uh, as we spend time and may, maybe look at the Word or ask these questions of ourselves and, and pour into each other's lives, that we also commit to talking about Jesus in the workplace, sharing the faith when we get the opportunity to. I didn't hear back from the individual. That was the end of that, that conversation. Um, I think there's a real danger in the church to become increasingly, if not exclusively, about inward focus about just what's in it for me, a kind of a feed me 
mindset. Um, but what we see here is Jesus talking about, okay, being with is good, but intrinsically also means being sent out. Uh, and these guys, as they were with him, were also being sent out along the way. And this is something, incidentally, is, is in the Bible from cover to cover. I mean, you go back to the first calling of God's people in Genesis 12, and you see that God says to his people through Abraham, I'm going to bless you. That's great. That's inward. They're going to be blessed. But that's half of the, the full sentence. And then he says, so that you might be a blessing. And then Jesus himself, over and over again, if you look at the, of, of all the times he's teaching the disciples, he's making this link between inward and outward. For instance, our mission verse here at Current, John 13, 34, and 35, a new command I give you, disciples, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. That's inward. But then he goes on to say, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's outward. Love one another, yes, but steward that loving one another for the sake of others. Uh, we cannot miss this. We need to invest in each other's lives, help each other from the inside out, and also be living sent. You know, I, I talked about my parents. Parents is an easy illustration to kind of draw from. I'll, I'll mention a few others here in a second. But one of the things I really appreciate about my dad is growing up when I was just a real little guy. So I moved up to the, the Bay Area when I was 11. So when I, before I was 11, I don't know, 9, 10. My dad would often, uh, a few times, uh, he would take me out of school. And whenever he took me out to school, I was actually usually really excited because sometimes that meant, you know, going out to breakfast with him or going to Disneyland every once in a while. And I was like, whew. But every once in a while, he'd take me out of school, and he'd say, son, we're going to Balboa Park. It's the big park in San Diego. I was like, oh, cool, what's at Balboa Park? He's like, homeless people. Oh, what are we doing out there? He's like, well, together with a couple other guys from the church, we're going to be feeding some folks who don't have a home. And we're just going to spend time with them. We're just going to get to know their story, and, and then we'll get you back to school. And then my little second grade self was like, I'd rather go back to school now. Like, take me back to school now. And if you're that little and you want to go back to school, something's really, yeah, you want to get back to school. But then I go out and I spend time in Balboa Park with these guys, and they just be making bacon and eggs on their little stove and getting into conversation. And I, I get to see that they really genuinely cared for these people and thought about, heard their needs. And, you know, all the rest, I'd have conversation. We only did that two, three times, but I can tell you that was a profoundly impactful thing for my dad to do in my life. Uh, there's been numbers of ways where he's invested in me. I've had other people in my life along the years. For instance, Andrew Park, um, who, who invested in my, in my life. He, he um, was older than I am. He grew up in inner city Oakland. We're talking gang-type uh, background for him. He came to put his faith in Jesus. Just an incredible story. Maybe at some point I'll get to share it. But he had a real heart for inner city youth. And so he, man, he just, when we hung out, he was, you know, making me, and then, uh, and then I soon became to want to do it, uh, hanging out with youth and just being able to spend time with them. Uh, another, the guy I told you earlier, Steve, uh, he had a real heart for evangelism. He would just love to just talk to people about Jesus. Uh, most people aren't this gifted like he was, but we'd, we'd be out walking on, on the, the school, and he'd be like, hey, let's tell somebody about Jesus. I'm like, this is Berkeley, dude. Like, we don't just start talking about Jesus. He's like, come on. And he started talking about Jesus, and it was like an awesome conversation. If I tried to do that, people would spit in my face. But uh, I think about Russ, um, how he worked for the phone company, how he would set up and tear down at church every day. And from a, from a young age, I just got to see God's joy in him as he served the church and how that was much more meaningful than just setting up and tearing down. And here we are doing a set up, tear down operation. I'm just so thankful for Russ in ways that I would never otherwise know to articulate. 
Um, it's experiences like these that I think shape us, right? And the point here being is it can't just be a being with type deal, but we got to think about, okay, what's the sending out part? Um, we need to be with, but we also need to send out. And it's in these ways that we become more like Jesus, and we help others become more like Jesus. We invest in people's lives. It's in these ways, together with God's help, that we accomplish one of the most, if not the most important of life goals, investing in others. Because if this is all true, if this is all how it is, then what we're talking about is not just making an impact here and now that we get to be grateful for and and celebrate at the end of our lives. No, these are things that will last for eternity. Um, They're more than worthwhile to invest in. And so as we wrap this up, let me just ask the question, what is something you can do, perhaps even this week, towards this end? This week? Oh, I don't know where I could start. Where could you start? Jesus started by praying. Maybe it's just praying. Maybe it's praying, God, are, are, are there relationships that you are actually, you already have me in that I could just be a little bit more intentional about with my roommate or with my, my friends in the, in the small groups or current groups? By the way, current groups are a great place to act as a catalyst for these sorts of things to happen. We get together and we get into each other's lives already. And then if we get together for coffee outside of that, we have relationships to draw from to only go deeper. Um, these activity groups that are happening over the summer are meant to catalyze potentially relationships like these. It doesn't need to be a super formal thing. I want to disciple you. No, it's just, hey, you want to get together for coffee hearing each other's stories, asking about what's going on in each other's life. And if, if it's a good relational fit, you know, making it a little bit more regular and being a little bit more uh, proactive about it. If you're somebody who still is like, David, at the end of the day, I want a curriculum. Like, what could I talk about? What could we do? What questions could I ask? Hey, come see us. We have resources for you. In fact, we just sent some out this week. Uh, questions that you could be asking, ways that you could we can be pouring into each other's lives. Uh, come see us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you're in the alpha group and, you want, you wanna, and you're interested in this, come see me. I'd love to connect you with others. Um, there's any number of ways that we can be, we can be involved in this. Um, how, how might you be involved? How could you be intentional about it? Um, last thought. The gospel writer uh, Mark concludes uh, this story, this calling of the disciples with a list of their names. Now, I've, I've learned enough to know that whenever there's a list of names, it's not just something you just kind of read over and just think like, okay, that's nice information. No, there's something always going on with, with God's Word. And uh, you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand what's going on here. Um, each of these guys, at least humanly speaking, were a pretty sorry lot. I'm just going to be real about it. You have four fishermen. You have a hated tax collector. You have a member of a radical and violent political party. That's the zealot that's, that's named here. Of six of them, we know practically nothing. All were laymen. There was no preacher or expert in the scriptures in the lot. Yet it was with these guys that Jesus established his church. It was with these guys that Jesus disseminated the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the earth such that we are here today. And if you look at this, you know, Jesus even gives them new names. Simon, whom he called Peter. That's so fascinating. That word Peter means rock. To say G- Peter was like a rock is, is not really a good apt description of how he plays out in the scriptures. And yet, spending time with Jesus made him into the rock that he became ultimately. Uh, Jesus saw in him what even Peter didn't see in himself. The point is, this is God's grand plan, that if we were to have a life goal, here's the life goal we should have. 
broken people like you and me investing in broken people like you and me to increasingly become like Jesus and to help others still become increasingly like Jesus too. There is no curriculum. There is no play-by-play handbook. Uh, There is just the exciting freedom to decide how best to join him. It means we have to be intentional in, in the rest of it, um, but it means investing in others as even others invest in us. If you'd like more resources, you'd like to, if this has sparked your interest, come see us afterwards. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us either by the card or whatever it might be, uh, email. Um, we'd love to talk to you, th- you further, um, but let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your example of investing in us. Lord, we are blown away that, boy, nine chapters from this one, you say to these same disciples that you came not to be served, but to, but to serve. And that you say at one point, I no longer call you servants because the servants don't know anything that their master's involved in, but I call you friends because I've made everything known to you. Father, we thank you for the reflection in this story of the gospel, that it's your goodness to us, it's your love for us, it's your laying down your life, that we might have relationship with you and eternal life in your name. And I just pray that if there's anyone here today who has never uh, received that, uh, that you would speak to them even now and draw them into your family. And then, Father, for for those of us who are followers of yours, Lord, this is something that we we long to do, invest in others. We know it's a goal that we're going to have looking back. We recognize that it's a goal that we want to have looking forward. Lord, would you help us in this? If there's any number of obstacles that can get in the way, Lord, would you help us in this? And would you... would you encourage us to know that even these guys who didn't have it all figured out, you, you know, you ended up doing some amazing things through. So, Lord, as a church, individuals, families, as a corporate body, would you help us in this life goal? Help us to invest in others, even as we need others to invest in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.